we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 4. 2 Samuel, chapter number 4. We are continuing our study of the life of David. And as we came to chapter 3, we saw that the young king had been anointed uh, after several years fleeing from Saul. He now uh, was anointed or is anointed as king in Hebron, uh, but only over the uh, tribe of Judah. The northern tribes, we have called them as we study the word of God, uh, the house of Saul, being the ten northern tribes, uh, continued to cast their hopes in the house of Saul. And as we read in chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible tells us there, now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And we saw that in chapter number three, the great struggle that really is mentioned to us in chapter two as well, that we looked at, uh, there's a great struggle between the house of Saul and the house of David. David uh, will serve as king in Hebron over Judah for a period of seven years. During that time, Ishbosheth was made the king of Israel. The men of Israel had anointed him as king after Abner took him and brought him to the men, and then Abner anointed him as king. Now Abner is dead. Joab murdered him as an act of vengeance uh, on behalf of his brother, uh, Azahel, who uh, was slain in battle. And so we come to chapter 4 in the last days of the long war. And if you are taking notes, that's the title this morning, The Last Days of the Long War. And I want to make sure that we understand who the long war is between. It is between the house of David and the house of Saul. And Saul's house represents all that man in his rebellion against God Uh, may accomplish. Uh, Men who refuse and reject the person of the Lord Jesus are members of the house of Saul. Those who come to the Lord Jesus uh, come into the house of David. Of course, the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment uh, concerning the throne of David and the house of David. So the struggle is ensuing and that struggle ensues today. As we come to chapter 4, we come to the last days of the long war. And as we go to chapter 5 next week, God willing, uh, we'll see that David is finally anointed as king over all the nation of Israel, Judah and Israel together. 
But here in chapter 4, we have this record of the last days of the long war, and I hope you'll read along with me, beginning in verse 1. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of one was Baana, and the name of the other, Rechab. And the sons of Remen a Berothite of the children of Benjamin, for Beeroth also was reckoned to Benjamin, and the Berothites fled to Gitaim and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And the sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, Rechab, and Baana went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. For they came into the house, for when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber. And they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. And David answered Rechab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Remen, the Berothite, and said unto them, as the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed. Shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand, and take you away from the earth. And David commanded his young men, and they slew him, and cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron. Now, the Bible tells us here in verse number two that Saul's son, Ishbosheth, heard that Abner was dead in Hebron. Verse one, rather, chapter four. His hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled. All the Israelites were troubled. There was trouble in Israel. Abner was dead. Ishbosheth was now dead. The men of Israel were left wondering to whom could they look for leadership. David was seeking to reconcile the people of Israel to himself. David's message was a message of peace. But David was surrounded by violent men. We know the stories, we've studied the life of David that for many years Saul sought to murder David. There was an Edomite man named Doeg who was a murderous man. He murdered all the priests of the Lord because Saul thought those priests had betrayed him. David's men tried to persuade David to kill Saul. 
in the cave. An Amalekite, as David mentioned here in this fourth chapter, had come to David and claimed to have been the one to have killed Saul and therefore with his own testimony convicted himself of murder. He was dealt with by David. We read in chapter 2 that Abishai needlessly sought to kill Abner. And then later Joab murdered Abner. And now in this fourth chapter, it's really a gruesome scene. These sons of Rimen murdered Ishbosheth. These were the last days of the long war. And the last days of the long war really are a prophetical look into the last days of the long war between the house of the Lord Jesus, the coming king, and the house of Satan, and all those who have rebelled against God. We know the Bible tells us that in the last days, perilous times shall come. We're living in those days. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to note three characteristics of those days and how they relate to the times that we're living in. And how the trouble that the men of Israel were experiencing is much like the trouble that our world is experiencing today. And then in the midst of those times, in the midst of that trouble, we ask this question, to whom can we look to or where do we place our trust in these last days of the long war? I want us to pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing on his word. Ask God to speak to our hearts today. Would you pray again with me, Father? We come before you and we come into the presence of the Lord today and to thy word, the eternal word of God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would remove from our hearts and minds anything that would distract us. And may you speak to us, accomplish the purpose that you have for us in this hour through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, I'll give you three headings. Number one, the feeble family, the feeble family. Number two, the murderous men. And then finally, the righteous ruler. I want you to know, first of all, the feeble family. We look at it again in verse number one. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble. And all the Israelites were troubled. Uh, then we're introduced in verse number two to the captains of the bands, these two sons of Remen, Baana, and Rechab. We're told of their lineage and their heritage, and we understand that they are connected uh, with Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe of Saul. So these men would have been loyal men to the house of Saul. In verse number four, we read of Saul's son, Jonathan, who had a son. And the Bible tells us that he was lame of his feet in verse four. Then we have the circumstances behind what caused this condition. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse 
took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that she that he fell rather and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth will become somewhat of a prominent character as we continue to study the life of David, but for now it suffices us to know that he is Jonathan's son. Jonathan, you remember, was the son of Saul who had made a covenant with David. They enjoyed a wonderful friendship. And when the news came of the death of Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa, we find that uh, this nurse takes up Mephibosheth and they're running away, they're fleeing from the Philistines. She's trying to protect him, but there's a fall and Mephibosheth becomes cripple. He becomes lame on his feet is the term is given to us. And so really what we have here is a portrait of a feeble family. The house of Saul is collapsing before us. Now we'll note a couple things as we examine this thought about the feeble family. First of all, it was the trembling house of Saul that we see. The trembling house. We've read of the feeble hands of Ishbosheth. We've read of the lame feet of Mephibosheth and the severed head of Ishbosheth. We've also read that Saul and his sons, who were killed at Mount Gilboa, uh, were decapitated, their corpses decapitated, their bodies set up in display uh, in the land of the Philistines. But really, what we have here is vivid imagery that shows us that the house of Saul, this, this family, was falling apart. The word feeble means weak and without courage, without strength. And what we find here is that Ishbosheth, once he learned that Abner, who was his main front man, the guy behind all the scenes, the, the, the guy that had put him in a position of power, once that, Ish, that Abner was removed from the scene, Ishbosheth was weak, and there was no more courage in him. The truth of the matter is that this term, feeble, describes really all of us in our fallen sinful condition. We have no ability, no strength, no power, no courage to live uh, uh, the life that God has commanded that we live. We are altogether unrighteousness for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You see, because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we have no spiritual life. When Adam sinned in the garden, the spiritual life that God had given to him left him at that moment. And all of us who've been born of Adam's race, though we have physical life, we're born without spiritual life. We had no strength, no ability to please God, to honor God, and to live eternally as God designed. But while we were yet without strength, while we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses, the Lord Jesus Christ came to give his life for us. He made the payment for our sin. And the moment that we receive him, we receive that life, that strength that we need. But I want you to know that apart from God, there is no strength. Ishbosheth. Hands were feeble. 
Not only was Ishbosheth weak, but Israel as a nation was weak and needy. They were unable to deliver themselves from Egyptian bondage. They were unable to sustain themselves in the wilderness. They were unable to conquer the land of Canaan. They were unable to defend their, themselves from the attacks of the enemies. But nevertheless, the Lord did all those things for them. He did deliver them. He did sustain them in the wilderness. He did conquer their enemies in Canaan. He did, by his power, keep them in the land. And he did defend them from the attacks of their enemies. You see, God did this for them. And in spite of all that he did for them, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Samuel that the men of Israel gathered themselves to Samuel and said, we want a king. We do not want a prophet, a judge, the person of God's choosing to lead us. We want a king like all the other nations. And oh, how Samuel the prophet wept over that. And the Lord said to Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes said, we will not have this man speaking of Jesus, to reign over us. We don't want him. They'd rather have Roman oppression. They'd rather have their religious system. But they weren't interested in Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Are you the person who says, Lord Jesus, I submit and yield my life to you? Or are you the person that says, wait a minute, this is my life, I can do what I want, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Now the seeds of rebellion reside in all of us, do they not? And because of our rebellion and because of our sin, we are a weak and needy people. And here we have a nation the nation of Israel that has rejected God. By the way, we live in a nation that has rejected God. We live in a world that has rejected God. And instead of submitting to God and his leadership, uh, what has happened is that men have gathered together with their thoughts and their ideas to conceive how that they can live apart from God. Do you know that every plan and every idea of man apart from God is breaking down right before our very eyes. I want you to think about the feeble governments of men. They're crumbling. History teaches us of the monarchs and the dictators and the tyrants and the democracies and the republics. And we're watching them all crumble before us. The feeble economic systems of men are crumbling. The ideas of communism and socialism and even the idea of capitalism, which I believe is far superior. It is abused. It is misused. And we see our nation, we see our world, and its economic systems collapsing. 
and the feeble philosophies and educational systems of men are crumbling. Right before our very eyes, I feel like the Lord has allowed me in my lifetime to watch a nation in despair, languishing on its deathbed. And I just want you to know, I've grieved and I've mourned for my nation. But though the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker, the house of David is waxing stronger. God's kingdom is increasing day by day. And soon the coming king will sound the trumpet and we'll all be together with the Lord. But until then, this long war continues. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let's cast off their cords. Let's throw asunder their bands. We don't want anybody ruling over us. We're tired of these old-fashioned, outdated biblical truths. We want to live any way we want to live. The Bible says, kiss the son lest he be angry. You better submit to him, he says. We sing this song in our choir often, nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. No king, no power, no house of Saul will ever overcome the Lord our God. You see, we're watching this feeble family in its trembling house. And then we see not only the trembling house, but we see the troubled hearts of men. The Bible tells us there in verse 1 that the, that the nation of Israel, the men of Israel, uh, all the Israelites were troubled. Hey, we're living in a time when all the people of this earth are troubled, are they not? You see, the feeble hands of Ishbosheth was a source of trouble for the men of Israel. They had, uh, they had put their trust in Ishbosheth to resurrect the house of Saul, to lead them. By the way, those who put their trust in feeble men always encounter trouble. The house of Saul was a tottering structure. It was built on the sand. Jesus said, if we observe these sayings and keep these sayings of his, we'll build our house on the rock. But if we disregard them, if we disobey them, we're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The house of Saul was built on the sand. The rains were falling, the winds were blowing, the floods were forming, and the house of Saul was collapsing. Hey, our nation is like that. We live in a nation and in a world led by men who've rejected God and his truth. Idolatry, immorality, sexual perversion, hatred, violence, murder, these are the things that now define our culture. Like false prophets, a willing media propagates the lies and deceptions of a false religion. A religion that worships and serves the creature more than the creator. A secular education system ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, indoctrinates our children to reject the truth and believe a lie. The political leaders of our day and our generation are seeking power and self-preservation. 
They're like unfaithful shepherds, unwilling to protect and defend the citizens, unwilling to defend and promote righteousness. Across the world this morning, regimes such as Putin and his army run roughshod over nations wreaking mayhem and murder. President Xi of China cheering him on is working to remove all remnants of truth from his people and force them to worship him of all things. The economies of the world are crashing. The political institutions of our world are in trouble. The house of Saul is crumbling before our very eyes and people are troubled. Jesus told us it would get this way, did he not? In Mark chapter 13 and verse number 5, the Bible said, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You see, we live in a generation where there are many who are telling us to reject the truth, the Son of God, and look to them. They have the answers. Well, I want you to know that all of their answers have been tried and have failed. There's only one way to God, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. There's only one answer to the condition of human sin and human suffering and human sorrow, and that answer is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is such deception in our age. Verse 7, And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must need be. But the end shall not be yet, for nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. You see, the Lord said, when you see all of these things happening, do not be troubled. Now, I want to tell you, it is troubling. But the answer to our trouble is to trust in the Lord. That although everything we see is falling apart, that which is unseen is coming together. There's a hope and a joy within our hearts. There's a conviction of the truth of God that all things are coming to pass as God told us they would. So we learn a great lesson here. Don't put your trust in man. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I want to ask you a question this morning. What's your trouble? What, what, what is it you're concerned about? What is it that you're struggling with? What's your trouble? Let me ask you this. What, what king, what thing are you trusting in to answer your trouble? Do you know that only Jesus can satisfy the hunger and thirst of a man's soul? The Samaritan woman came every day to draw water from Jacob's well. We know the story of, of the Samaritan woman. She had been married five times. She was living with a man who was not her husband. She obviously had trouble in her life. She was looking for love. She was looking for completeness in her relationships. 
but she kept coming up empty. And every day she came to the well. There are people who are looking for relationships to satisfy them. There are people who they want a pill, they want a beverage, they they want a product, they want a, an accomplishment, they, they, they want something to fulfill them and bring them happiness, but none of those things apart from Jesus will ever satisfy the soul of man. None of them. And they're all collapsing houses that people like to look to. There's no political savior. There's no economic savior. There's no person out there on the horizon that we can look to. The only person we can look to is the one who occupies the throne of heaven. His name is Jesus. So he talked to the woman at the well and he said, I have some water that if you'll drink it, you'll never thirst again. And that woman took a drink that day. She left her water pot. You know why she left it? She didn't need it anymore. Because within her was a well of water springing up into life everlasting. That water was flowing from her too because she went and gathered the men of Samaria and brought the whole village to Jesus and they put their faith and trust in him. So what are you trusting in? The collapsing, faltering house of Saul or the kingdom of our God? Let me give you a second thought. Not only here do we see the feeble family, but we see the murderous men. Verse number five tells us of the sons of Remen, the Berethite, Rechab, and Baana. They came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came hither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. These sons of Remen, they could see the handwriting on the wall. The house of Saul was collapsing, so they thought, we've got to do something to fortify our position. So let's go in and, and let's pretend that we're there to get wheat. We'll go into the house of Ishbosheth. And, uh, you know, it's about noontime, heat of the day. He's probably taking a nap. And uh, we'll take his life. We'll murder him. And that's what they did. They severed his head and they took his head to David. What a gruesome scene it must have been. In verse number eight, they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. You see, trembled, trembling and troubled men always resort to treachery and murder. That's the way of the world, right? As some of you work in factories and businesses, and it's a cutthroat world, isn't it? There are always people looking to get ahead, and they don't mind to step over you to get there. Swords and daggers are the weapons they use. Maybe swords and daggers of words or false accusations. Maybe you're overlooked and always the victim of these men. And you're tempted, you're tempted, you're tempted to think, well, if I'm ever going to get ahead in this world, I got to play, the, play according to their rules. No, you don't. No, you don't. Let me tell you whose rules you have to play according to. The rules of the king, King Jesus. 
Well, David, I mean, if you want, if you want Saul and his house dead, if you want a clear path to the throne, David, then we, we, we just had to finish off Ishbosheth. And here's his head. Now, you know, give us a position in your kingdom. They were murderous men. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, we're living in, a, in an age where Satan, who is the God of this world, is making every attempt he can in these last days to overthrow the kingdom of God. He's a murderer and he's a liar. The Bible tells us that Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Then Genesis 6 gives us a glimpse into those days of Noah. In verse number 11 of Genesis 6, the Bible says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In the days of Noah, there were days of great violence. I imagine it was much like our day, invading armies, crime in the streets of uh, our cities. Murders taking place every day. A rebellion against authority. A movement in this hour to defund the police. While thousands of lives are being taken. While criminals parade openly into the shopping centers and malls of our nation and take whatever they want to take and dare anyone to stop them. How did we get here? Well, Paul gives us the answer. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see, when you have a nation that has forsaken God, when you have leaders who've turned their backs on God, when you have people who've turned their back on God, then you'll have a violent nation. You'll have a nation that is reprobate in their mind. In other words, they're unable to reason. Do you listen to some of these people speak? And ask yourself the question, how is it that anyone can think this way? What rational human being decides to defund the police department? No rational human being would decide that. And how did we get so irrational? Because we chose not to retain God in our knowledge. Now what happens? Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil thing, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. If you've ever read a description of today's culture and generation, you just read it. You say, Pastor, it's 2022. 
Look at the events of this world. Why are we looking at the house of Saul and the kingdom of David? Because it's just as fresh and just as relevant as today's newspaper. We are living with a feeble family and murderous men. But thanks be unto God, we have a righteous ruler. A righteous ruler. His name is Jesus. Look at verse 9. And David answered Rechab and Baana his brother, the sons of Rimmon the Berethite, and said unto him, As the Lord liveth who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I told of him, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. So here we have a righteous ruler. It's David. Now David foreshadows for us the person of the Lord Jesus and his righteousness. These murderous men, they came to David with the head of Ishbosheth and they smiled and they said, aren't you proud of us? Look what we did for you. Now you can be king and now you can make us deputies, captains, give us a nice place to live and a secure position in your kingdom. They thought David would hug them and say, guys, good job. But David didn't do that. You see, as we've studied about David, David has always resisted the temptation to take the sword in his hand. His men said when he was in the cave with Saul, kill him. When Saul was asleep later on, they said, kill him. But David said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointing. Oh, there was a time he was going to slay a man named Nabal. And Abigail met him along the way and reasoned with him in his rage. And he understood this was of the Lord. David found out something. I don't need to murder and take people's lives and put uh, these things into my own hands. I need to learn to trust God and allow God to, to redeem me out of all my trouble. You see, this righteous ruler redeems his people. He redeems us. You say, let's go back to the office. You don't understand these people I'm dealing with. You don't understand this world I'm in. These people are sharks. If you're going to swim with the sharks, you've got to have some teeth. No, you don't. You have to learn to trust God. Are you willing to trust God that much? You say it's easy, it's easy for you and I to sit in a pew with people who think like us and say, I trust God. But to live in this world with all the trouble and all the murder and all the mayhem and all the wickedness and to do right, it means that we have to be underneath the rule of a righteous king. David said, boys, I don't need you. I've never needed you. 
The Lord has redeemed me out of all adversity. I don't trust you. I don't trust in your methods. I don't need to go the way of Cain here. I need to follow Jesus. He's a righteous ruler. He spoke of redemption, but then he speaks of retribution. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed? He says, fellas, you killed an innocent man. Ishbosheth did no sin. He did no wickedness against me. He did nothing against you. He was asleep in his home in a secure place and you murdered him. Shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? Now it is time for retribution. I just want you to know that there's coming a time of retribution. Sometimes we see what's happening in our world and we, we, we just get so fretful, don't we? The Bible says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. We think, how in the world can God allow this to continue? Why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he do something? I got some good news for you. He's already intervened. He's already done something. He sent his son to make the payment for your sin and mine. He's given us the promise that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will set it all in order. That's not my job and it's not your job. That's his job. And you and I have to trust him to do it. What's our job, pastor? I'm glad you ask. We're ministers of reconciliation. We're out here among the murderous men, among the troubled souls, and we're giving them the truth of Jesus. We're representing him. We don't have swords and daggers. We have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Now, this righteous ruler, he's going to take care of it all. And that's what he did. So the question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? Do you trust him? If you are here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your savior, you say, I, I don't want this man to rule over me. I'm not ready for this kind of a thing. I like doing what I like to do. You better come to Jesus because the house of Saul is collapsing. There may be people here this morning and they're, they're, looking, they're looking for the answer. Maybe they're looking for a political figure or an economic person advisor or some system that they can buy into and believe in that will somehow satisfy them. Maybe it's a pill. Maybe it's a beverage. Maybe it's a, another person or a relationship. I want you to know the answer is not found in any of those things. It's only found in Jesus. Will you come to him? Maybe you're here this morning and you're living among these murderous men and the only thing you know to do is just take up your knife and, and go at it. No, that's not the way to handle it. Would you lay down the sword and pick up the right sword, the sword of the Spirit, submit yourself to the Lord Jesus, live a life that's pleasing to your King? You say, well, that's hard to do, Pastor. I know it is. That's why we need Him every moment, don't we? 
you be willing to come to him today and say, Lord Jesus, help me today. Help me to be your messenger. Help me to be your ambassador. Help me to trust in you also because you're the righteous ruler. You're going to set this straight. And maybe just thank him today that while that house on the sand is succumbing to the winds and the waves and the floods that are forming, the house on the rock is standing firm. In the last days, of the long war. Oh, friends, we're going to have trouble. But we can trust in Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.